1: J.J. Cooper here with Nicholas Rossini from Repsodo, analytics manager for Repsodo. We're having another MLB draft podcast as we get ready for the 2021 draft Sunday through Tuesday of uh, this upcoming week. If you heard the last one we did of this, you're going to know what you to expect here. You're going to know that we're going to dive deep. And I do mean deep into some interesting players, but if you didn't listen to that one, I, I do want to give a recommendation. If you listen to this one, you already got it on your. You already listen to it now. But if you enjoy this one, it's very similar. We did a, a similar podcast a couple of weeks ago where we drove, dove into Sam Bachman, a lot of players who had interesting attributes. And that's what we're going to do again today. But Nicholas, kind of to dive into that, we were both at the MLB Draft Combine, Cary, North Carolina, I guess a couple of weeks ago, a week ago. Time is a uh, circle at this point as we get ready for the draft. I don't know what day it is, to be honest with you. But recently, we were both at the uh, MLB Draft Combine. I was there observing. You were there more directly working uh, because Rep Soto was gathering uh, data at the event. And kind of, I'll start with a very open-ended question of what was that like and, and what did you learn?
0: Yeah, for sure. So it was an awesome experience to be there. So uh, we were actually fortunate enough to be on the field um, during BP, during um, during some of the pitching sessions um, to be actually to actually be able to gather the data on the on the hitters and pitchers that were that were throwing and hitting at the event. Um, so being there, being able to be near you know a bunch of the top you know, LB scouts, employees, things like that. I mean, you know, there were former LB players: Tori Hunter, Fred McGriff, Sal- Sal- Jared Saltalamacchia. Sal- uh, Mike Cameron, a lot of players, the former players that were there um, kind of working for the, the network, but also just as people that, you know, could be supportive of the players. It was really cool to see um, because I have more of that data side experience with less of that, uh, you know, the ability to see these players, you know, hit, hitting hitting balls in person and, and throwing pitches. So it was it was very cool uh, to be able to see that. Um, and also to kind of be able to show some of these players um, and, and, you know, former players and current players and current prospects uh, some of the data. So, you know, a lot of people would walk up. You know, they'd see us on our iPad, like, oh, what is this? You know, what do you guys do? Um, kind of showing them some of the numbers, some of the metrics we'll get into today. Um, and, you know, get be able to see it in real time, which I think for a lot of players, you know, some sometimes during BP groups, there'd be you know, some of the hitters would come off and be like, oh, what was EV on that one? And, you know, they'd kind of be challenging each other to, you know, hit the ball longest, hit the ball the hardest. It was cool to see just that first person, you know, some of the absolute absolute top talent, you know, in, in the nation, be able to to kind of be there in front of them.
1: And the other thing is, is, and this is why we're here today, you gathered a lot of very interesting data. Uh, we are going to, that's what we're gonna dive into. I, I I, know we have another podcast, we already covered this, but I wanna cover it again. When you say, when I say you have interesting data, what are you looking for? As you gather with pitchers, you had the episode soda there that was gathering obviously velocity, spin rate, movement profiles, all that. With hitters, you're gathering launch angle, exit velocity, all that. But what when we say that these are interesting? Why is it that these are players? What are attributes that you are looking for that makes someone stand out?
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways, um, kind of, with this question. So I, I would say, really, it's just people that are that are, you know, th- you're already there with people that are the best of the best, right? This is the MLB Combine, but at the same time, you're looking for players that you know stand out as unique players in that group. So, you know, guys hit the ball the hardest, right? I mean, they were pretty long, you know, we'll also start kind of generally with hitting, you know, there were guys, they're all hitting it hard. Let's, you know, be clear that none of these guys were hitting the ball soft. None of these guys were, you know, there are very few players that I'd profile there that were, you know, singles only hitters, but there were some guys that also, even with all the, all the power and all the, the great contact ability, I mean, they were just taking BP. So the ability to hit the ball hard kind of was a prerequisite, but um, the ability to stand out in that group. and there were certain players within that group that you know were by and large, both both uh, uh, college and high school players um, that that stood out. Um, and then on the pitching side, players that you could see um, maybe had a great breaking ball or or you know, threw the ball the hardest. I mean, all, like like I said, there were many, many players that are able to touch ninety five plus at this event but then the ability to maintain that velocity over the entire BP session or the ability to snap off a great breaking ball. I'm um, really just the ability to see and find players that you know maybe trying to make, pay, make a name for themselves by going to the, to the combine and raise their draft stock, really it, it shows through in the data.
1: And the other thing that we've talked about before is is also, it's always great to be unusual. <laughs> what you're looking for, <laughs> uh, this sounds crazy, but if all of a sudden we snapped our fingers tomorrow and everyone threw a hundred miles an hour. Now that'd be terrible for hitters right away, but five years from now, throwing a hundred with you know whatever movement that well these generic pitchers now have would be something that hitters would get adjusted to, or at least somewhat adjusted to, because if you are like everyone else, that's better for hitters than if you are unlike everyone else. And so that's another thing that I think that will we'll dive into today and this is going to be a lot of nicholas talking and me asking questions because we're just going to start it off i'm going to say okay let's dive into pitchers who are a couple of let's start with who's a pitcher that stood out to you that and why it's a simple question who and why
0: yeah yeah so we'll start with mason erla so michigan state um michigan state uh pitcher and he is uh, r- currently ranked in the in the low 400s by baseball america um, and he th- actually threw the hardest pitch of the combine. He touched 99 in his fastball. You know, he's comfortably sitting 95 plus, I would say, 94, 97. But, I mean, through, you know, it went down to 94. But, I mean, honestly, the ability to touch 99 is, is even in today's game, a pretty rare quality, um, especially at an event like this uh, where it's mostly, you know, ho- uh, college and high school guys. Um, and kind of the interesting part I thought about then, other than the fact that, I mean, 99 isn't easy to do, is the fact that he throws it um, at around 150 spin direction. So think about it like a clock. Um, 150 is um, you know, closer to three o'clock side than the than the pure 12 o'clock. Um, and it's rare to see a guy throwing that hard at that slot, um, especially not out of a you know, a sidearm side. He said, he would say he's comfortably a three quarters guy, but he's not a you know, he's not a sidearm guy by any means. Um and he gets a because of that spin direction of one fifty, he's actually getting more run on the pitch than than ride. If you kind of if those are the two different ways to They're look right. at it, right? Run would be more of that horizontal movement, a sinker ball type. Yeah, so ride would be the ability to kind of miss bats um, above, essentially the ability to throw that pure 12, 12 o'clock fastball um, and kind of ride above the bats. Um, run would be that ability to, you know, move the ball left and right. Um, for a righty, um, that arm side run on a fastball at the very least is normally into that right-handed batter, um, whereas the lefty would be into the, into the left-handed batter. Um, and then, you know, the ability to throw it that hard at that slot is a very unique thing. Um, and a relatively high efficiency, so he's he's throwing a 95 plus uh, percent efficient, which you'd like to see it probably get maybe a little bit higher to you know averaging 99. There's a lot of guys that can throw more or less every pitch at a 100 percent, 99 percent efficiency, um, which is a little bit tougher for my observation on on guys that throw at that such a low slot like you know 150, almost two o'clock, which is tough to do, um but but it is something that you could improve on and you know get a little bit more out of that pitch.
1: I also find it fascinating. You just said he's he's 4'13", I believe, on our current list. And one of the things that's interesting about Mason Erlo, we, he was a, an interesting guy in last year's draft. I think it's pretty safe to say if it had not been a five-round draft last year, Mason Erlo would have easily been a draft pick last year. But because of that, he is also, he's almost 24 years old. Of the players in our top 500, he is the fourth oldest in the top on our BA 500 Kevin Copps, by the way, is the oldest. The uh, Arkansas stud reliever this year who's on his way to being 24 and a half with, you know, on draft day. He's almost 24 and a half. Earl is not that old, but he is one of the oldest players in the draft, which is one of the interesting characteristics that we're having to allow for in a very unusual draft. You had all these players who normally would have been drafted in 2020 who are back in the 2021 draft and figuring out how you line those up how teams are going to line those up. is very difficult, especially though with hitters, I I think there's a much more of a penalty to being older as a hitter than there is as a pitcher. And so it will be interesting to see how teams evaluate. Okay. When you're looking at, I've got a 21 year old pitcher here, an 18 year old pitcher there and almost 24 year old pitcher here, but Mason Erla I've been interested in. He's a very interesting name to me i nasty stuff and i will be very interested to see where he goes what's another pitcher that that stood out to you
0: yeah uh well, we'll go to the uh to the high school side now so peter H- uh huback i believe um is the way it's pronounced so it's uh he's a wake forest commit right now he's 105th uh, low hundreds in the baseball america ranking um any you know as as a high school guy he doesn't throw as hard so i'm gonna i'm gonna touch more on his on his breaking stuff here Um, and and of the curveballs he was able to throw at the combine. I was very impressed. It's, it's one of those slow breakers, um, at times was getting 25 inches of negative, um, vertical break, which, um, think about it. Like if you remove actual gravity from the pitch, this is how much break you would be, you know, casting down, you know, to to make the ball go downward. Um, even without gravity, right. The the ball is dipping even more with gravity, but the ability to, to induce 25 inches of, of negative, um, vertical break is extremely impressive. And at times he was even getting that pitch to 90% plus spin efficient, which I mean, as a, you know, when we talk about fastballs, 90% would be a, a, actually a rather low number for spin efficiency, but the ability to throw a curveball at anywhere near, I mean, 80% is by all means awesome. 90%, 95% is almost unheard of. Um, and he didn't do this every time. He threw a few at the, in, in the low eighties, but he threw I think two or three pitches of the 20 pitches he was able to throw. Um, obviously with other pitches mixed in, he threw it at 90 plus percent efficient, which I know it's a pitch at only 70 miles an hour, which I mean, is, is fine as a curveball. You know, maybe you want to get the velo up a little bit, depending on, you know, the way you're going to approach pitch design with him. But I mean, extremely impressive that you're able to get 95 plus efficient at that six o'clock. It was a pure Ooh. 12-6 breaker. Oh, so
1: what would it, because it is more efficient, what will that mean for the pitch as compared to, like, if you said, I'm going to look at that 90 plus percent spin efficient 12 to six curveball versus say a 75% spin efficient curveball.
0: Yeah. So, so with that, you're going to get um, a few inches more of downward break on that ball by the time it reaches the plate. So, you know, that, that extra 20% in efficiency is only going to help the ball go downward. Um, that that twenty percent—that's let's say for for the, for the sake of argument or for the sake of explanation here—is wasted. Um, I wouldn't say wasted; it's still doing something, but it's still, but it's not, um, helping the ball go downward per se. So that extra twenty percent is going to equate to at least two to three inches more of, of downward vertical break. Which you know, if, if the if most hitters are see, expected seeing, you know, maybe a seventy percent efficient curveball, which is fine, not a bad curveball. Um, maybe they're swinging, they're, they're catching that 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 uh 70% efficient curveball but they're swinging over the top of that 90% efficient curveball at the same speed at the same spin rate. Like he's not a high spin rate guy, but the ability to get to that 90%, and maybe add some spin rate or, you know, create other unique looks is very is very cool. I mean, even the ability to get to 90% is 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 phenomenal.
1: No, that's the interesting thing with Hueback. You you are talking about when you see that kind of break in a curveball, it's kind of fascinating to see where this is going to go for him because you you are talking about you have this attribute already, but you also talked about it's a slower curveball. How much of that counteracts kind of what you're seeing from the 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 break and the depth of it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say it. I don't know, the, the the fact is that if it's slower, it has more time to break. Obviously, there's more time for a hitter to process. But at the same time, if you're throwing that pitch, I mean, right? If you're throwing a pitch at 70 miles an hour, unless you're throwing a get me over like. You know, a pitch to to confuse the hitter a little bit, maybe like a you know, oh oh, like flip one over curveball. You're pretty much trying to throw that pitch um, to be deceptive and throw it low in the zone and probably bounce it. Maybe not bounce it, but you know what I mean. And throwing right. throwing it low to induce a swing on a pitch that's almost never going to be hit. So I would say as long as that pitch is paired well with it with with a fastball that's a high efficient, you know, 12 o'clock fastball, which I don't believe he has as of now. I mean, obviously he's a he's a guy that has a lot of projectability. Um, he's throwing closer to a, a 90, 91, 92, as opposed to, you know, in 95 right now. But I would say as long as he's able to pair that pitch well with a fastball that is being thrown in the zone and more competitively, um, he's, he's going to be able to throw that curveball low in the zone and get a lot of swings and misses because guys are going to be cheating on that fastball. Um, so it is an interesting from that standpoint of, yeah, he's going to have a hard time locating it a bit because he is going to be throwing it low in the zone. Um, I, mean, I, I don't want to say hard time locating, I want to say hard time throwing that pitch for a strike, given the amount of, you know, the incredible amount of break it has, but he will be able to be deceptive.
1: And, and the thing about it is, is that is more of a two-strike curve we're talking about, because to throw that pitch for a strike with that much break also means that you have to start off, you, you almost have to cast it, that you your, your aim point has to be such that you then probably are getting into again, and I, I'm I don't want to go overboard on this because, you know, but you that's where you often get the hump. You get that that pitch that comes out of the hand with a rise. Well, if that happens at the pro level, you've already defeated it because what you were talking about earlier, you're trying to pair it with a fastball. You, you want to throw that a little lower. You want to have that where it's coming out like that fastball and then dives, not where it comes out in a recognizable manner to be different from the fastball because uh, Homer Bailey many, many years ago, because I'm old was a teaching point for me because seeing his curveball, it looked at class a, like it was a great pitch. And then he got to double a triple a and they had to completely rework the pitch. And it was like, why? Well, because yeah, it looked great. It had big break, but it had that hump out of the hand. And as hitter, as he went up the ladder hitters, absolutely recognized it was like, almost like you were yelling to them before he threw the pitch. I'm throwing a curveball now. And so you, you had to adjust. So that's one of the things fascinating about that. Well, now let's go back to the college side. Another pitcher that I'm very interested in, who's been kind of a prominent prospect for a couple of years now, but what is it about Seth Longway from Ohio state that really stood out to you?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, straight away, and this is a guy that we didn't, uh, we weren't able to see at the event, but we, we do have data on um, just his episode of data in general. Um, and, again, another guy with an incredible curveball lefty with a pure 12-6, um, averaging around 550, which is, you know, right near 6 o'clock. Um, high spin efficiency, not as high as, as Hubex, but still, you know, by all means 80-plus percent, great pitch. Uh, high spin rate, so 28, 2900, you know, at the minimum 26, 2700, um, which is fantastic. You know, the mm-hmm. ability to, to really get that downward spin is is is, is great. Um, and, really, I mean, it doesn't get much better. And he throws it out of that such a high slot. I mean, it throws everything out such a high slot that it's going to pair extremely well with a, with a high efficiency fastball. Um, and you know, getting right over the top—I mean, it's almost a la Kershaw. I mean, obviously not, not the same exact uh, motion as, as Kershaw, but honestly, from that left side, they're there, comparable curveballs. Um, and, and really, as long as he can locate, like I know, I know his his main drawback right now is basically just the is the control. But if he can get those pitches near the zone, hitters are going to have a very tough time. Um, especially if tunnels well as well, right? Releasing those those two pitches is similarly. Um, if you can locate them near the zone, it's going to make it you know, very, very tough on hitters to to get the curveball, you know, to pick up on that curveball, being such a similar pitch to a, to a high-efficiency fastball.
1: Seriously, talk about that. Going like pitch theory and all, because I know that you like to dive into this too. If you're over the top like that, it really does. There are There are pitchers who almost kind of create what their assortment needs to be by their release point. If you're high over the top, you kind of need to be most of the time. Again, there's always weird exceptions, but most of the time you're going to need to be kind of a a, a fastball curveball guy more so than fastball slider because you're you're throwing a slider from that slot it's not going to have the kind of the the movement profile necessarily the the and the same time, if you're now, if you say you're high three quarters or, you know, or, or lower than that, low three, especially low three quarters, I should say, even more so, it's going to be hard to get on top of a curveball, right? Like, that's when you become more of that fastball slider pitcher. Is that
0: yeah. reasonable? And even if you're calling it a curveball from a low three-quarter slot, I'm gonna I'm going to struggle to see, unless it's super high efficiency – how it's really even a curveball, right? It could be like a sweeping slider. I mean, I guess we're getting into kind of the the part of pitch design where it's you know, a sweeping curveball and a sweeping slider, what's the difference? But at the same time, it's hard to make that ball go you know north south out of that slot. It's it's near impossible without having, you know, some some crazy wrist angle type things and, and you know other things that get a lot more complicated. Um it, it's just gonna be purely, you know, almost anatomically, right? Like it's almost just the way that you know we're built to throw a ball, it's gonna be tough to to even do. Yeah. So so that's a great point, I think.
1: And Lonsway struck out 13 per nine this past season. He walked 5.7 per nine. So that is kind of the story of Seth Lonsway. He's been a, you know, a big part of Ohio State's uh, rotation, you know, a couple of years now, but it will be interesting to see kind of how he develops in pro ball as well. And again, like you said, but he's not going to be a first round pick. When you get a little further on, then that's where the trade-offs When we talk about Jack Leiter, when we talk about Kumar Rocker, and we talk about Ty Madden and Sam Bachman, at that point, you're saying, I'm not having to make a whole lot of trade-offs. By the time you get to the even second round, by the time you get to the third, fourth, fifth, then you're talking about with pitchers, you're saying, okay, I'm getting, ve- <laughs> there's kind of, there, there. are these, okay, what do I, this guy have a lot of, what does he have a little of? Okay, I'm getting a lot of velocity, but the command's not all that, and the control's not all that well. Or he has a really the that I love the 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 you know the breaking ball. I love the spin efficiency. I love the movement profile of it. But like you said with Hubeck, okay, you're not getting that velocity yet. Now maybe it'll come down the road, but you're not getting it where it's like okay. Ideally, I'd love that pitch to be about five eight miles an hour harder, paired with ninety five plus on the fastball. That's why the draft's all very interesting. Is is that the ability to suss out which characteristics, which projectability guy is gonna develop further, is where you get from, okay, I'm taking this guy a little later on in the draft. And then you look back on it later and you say, Oh, you really got something out of it. But before we move to hitters, we do have another combine guy who stood out to you. And we're staying, you know, we we've 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 done Ohio State. So now we're gonna we're gonna give both sides of the rivalry some time here. So now we're gonna move on to Michigan, and why is it that a Michigan guy stood out to you?
0: Yeah. So Stephen Hager, um, he has an interesting pitch mix. So he's more of a pitch mix. I obviously, I mean, is individual pitches themselves are great, but it, the fact that he has three pitch, pitches that can, you know, honestly be called plus it, you know, it, it, depending on the way you look at it, it, is is incredibly impressive. So he throws a hard fastball, ninety five plus. Um, I mean, was touching, I think, 96, 97 at least at the at the combine. Um, not great spin efficiency. It's okay. I mean, he's 95-plus he's 90, um, efficient. But like I've said earlier, I mean, people have shown the ability to throw 99% pretty much on command. Um, and and as a lefty, I mean, it's an average spin direction. It's 1045. So if you think about it, you, you reverse kind of the righty. He's essentially a, a righty 115, which is, you know, pretty much squarely squarely average at 1045. Um, but the pitches that I thought were were even more interesting than that, right? The fastball is interesting just because it's thrown hard and it doesn't stand out other than that too much. But he throws and the few sliders he did throw at the combine, they were all extremely low low efficiency. Which, like we talked about in the last episode, ex- extremely low efficiency um, sliders, uh, essentially what we would like to call dry row balls, um, are are, re- are really hard to throw. Right? It's essentially a, a ball that's thrown almost identically like a football or with bullet spin, essentially with no. Um, Backspin, side spin, or um, you know, topspin—it's really just thrown like a bullet. So the, his ability to kind of on command throw that five, sub five percent slider is is going to be a very deceptive pitch when paired with that fastball. As long as he can pair it well, um, and he throws—and and as he throws it hard, right—as as a hard thrower, um, it's going to be a pitch that looks like a fastball um, for a very long time until until it's not. And then I'll also dive into—he you know, he does have a high efficiency curveball, uh, at pure twelve six. Um, does have that 12-6 movement. I think the, the, spin, the spin efficiency was was fine, but the ability, those three pitches paired with the fact he throws hard is a very, you know, it, it's, it's wipe out stuff as long as it's located well and it's, it's uh, you know, tunneled well.
1: I, I want to go a little bit more into the gyro ball. So basically what you're talking about, and again, I'm trying to summarize and then feel free to correct me because I may be off base, but if it's thinking of it, okay, you're throwing that slider and really what you're almost making is, is that, the spin is effectively not doing anything in some ways to the pitch, which sounds counterintuitive in some ways, right? Like, but because the hitter reads spin, that will then mean that the hitter is, is taken off of what he expects because for the majority of the pitch path, you know, path, it's not going to do a whole lot, right? Is that a a fair way to explain it?
0: Yeah, and that pitch has always been a pitch that people have shown a, a pretty good ability to pair with the fastball, and that like, it looks fastball-ish because you're throwing it just as hard, generally. I mean, not not as hard in the velocity, but you're making the same motion. But yes, it is going to drop because with the fastball, with the spin efficiency being ninety-five percent plus, it's going to it's gonna it's gonna rise up. It's gonna rise up. gravity of, without gravity. Now with gravity, it's still going to go down, but at the same at the same time, this other pitch, this this low efficiency gyro ball slider, is going to drop um, more than he, more than the batter expects. So it's it kind of has that that break effect without actually technically adding break to the ball, but it makes it extremely deceptive. That's really the big thing. Otherwise, if you knew, I mean, if you threw a, a gyro slider every time, it's not going to be deceptive at all, quite honestly. But the ability to pair that with a pitch um, a, a, as impressive as that 95 plus fastball is is really what what makes it wipe out.
1: And the other thing with that, that stands out about him is, is that him throwing at the combine, his velocity in season this year at Michigan was a little bit up and down uh, this year, coming back from a, a knee injury. And there's he's shown kind of that ability to kind of get to that velocity in the past. He showed it at times this year. But I think that was pretty useful for him to kind of go out there and do that and kind of put that in front of everybody right before the draft, like, hey, what you saw from me in my worst outings this year, by the way, he was still very effective, but he just didn't always have the velocity this year that maybe teams had expected. But his ability to show that in the combine to me does help him a good bit going into the draft because you now have that and you're like, okay, we saw him just do that. And I know it wasn't a game, but it was a pressure pack situation. It was something very important for these players. That You're not going there and just having, this is not just a random side session where you're trying to work on stuff. This is you throwing to basically put yourself out there in advance of the draft for all 30 teams. And he performed and he responded doing that. And to me, that is something also that, that becomes interesting as you talk about with the draft. But again, it's an interesting, I like how you put it, it's an interesting mix of pitches that he has And when you put that whole combination together, these pitches aren't in a vacuum. If you I'll throw that before we go to the hitters, if we took, we could take really good pitch attributes for individual pitches, but if you Frankenstein together a pitcher, it could potentially not work all that well together because if they don't fit with each other, if they don't pair with each other, they become, like you said there with the gyro ball, if you have a gyro slider, and you don't have a efficient spin-efficient fastball, it's not gonna pair as well, right? Because if you throw that pitch a lot, it just a, a a slightly slower fastball that drops a little more if you can look for it. But if you're having to prepare for this hard fastball with with riding life, you know, high, you know, right, you know, rising life, I should say, then then that gyro ball becomes a very effective pitch. If I'm throwing a fastball with a lot of run, that doesn't pair as well with a 12, six curve as It would maybe with a slider that or there's different combos that work better together than if you just took these pitches and look at them in isolation, right?
0: That is correct. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's really what, you know, it's really what it's all about with pitching. I mean, if you go to a guy, I know we talked about DeGrom before, but you know, the reason why he's gyro slider is so good. I mean, it's throwing 90 miles an hour, but at the same time, he just pounds you with fastballs and he's, you're swinging at a fastball when you're hitting a slider. So it's, it becomes a very, very tricky thing for, for batters to prepare for, and a near impossible task.
1: OK, let's move it over to the hitters, because we did also have hitters taking BP at the combine. And again, you all had uh, the Soto hitting devices there, you know, g- gathering everything, recording every swing they took. Now, again, this was this is BP. So we're looking at exit velocity. We're looking at consistency of it we're looking at launch angle because if you hit the ball 115 plus, but you hit it straight down into the ground, you know, that we're only on grounders, or if you hit it at 65, you know, percent launch angle, that's not going to do nearly as much for you as hitting at 110 at an, at at a more ideal, you know, hard line drives, hot, long fly balls, those characteristics all work together. But who is a, who is a hitter who really stood out to you from the combat?
0: Yeah, and I'll start this off with saying that, I mean, the, the hitting was extremely impressive as the pitching was. I'll start with a general, uh, general stat here. Uh, over the course of the days we were there, there were 60 hits over 400 feet. So <laughs> 60 absolutely no doubt are homers. Um, I mean, it was ex- just extremely impressive to see. And then a lot of these guys will talk about our guys that are, fall into that category. So uh, one guy that I think when we were there, um, and it is the highest guy, will, highest rank guy I will talk about, is Alex Benelos. Um He had, I mean, an absolutely imp- – Extreme, you know, an incredible session in front of us. So, um, he hit 23 balls of the approximately 50 he hit. It was a pretty long BP session, 23 balls over 100 miles an hour, which to put that into category, uh, put that into more context, um, MLB categorizes a hard hit ball as actually 95 miles an hour. So, this is this is balls hit, you know, by all means, extremely hard. Um, balls that could turn into a home run if they're at the correct launch angle. Um, and another thing with Alex is that he he maxed out. At 445 feet on his longest home run or his longest hit, um, and his and he actually had the second and third longest hits of the combine uh, itself.
1: So again, with Benassi, you're talking about a guy who came into the year thought to have some of the best power in the class. We saw that this year. He had a rough start to the season as far as hitting for average, but the power was there all year. He got that the, the average did climb up as the season went along. He had a monster ACC tournament. He he was a guy who really, I think it was unfortunate for him that the season ended when it did for them because it, it felt like that everything was kind of coming together for him. Probably good for him that, okay, let me take that to the combine. And oh yeah, by the way, let me put together what was really probably the most impressive BP session of the entire combine. So he's, uh, he was one that did absolutely jump out. So who's someone else who, who really kind of showed yeah. something?
0: Yeah, and, and one, one other thing I wanted to highlight with, with Benelli's as well, um, and is, is something we didn't talk about on the last podcast, um, is is spin rate with hitting. So spin rate on mm-hmm. hitting is something that's a bit, I mean, I wouldn't even say a bit, a lot, it's a lot less common to be talked about than uh, spin rate on on pitching. You know, as we know with the whole, with, with spin rate lately, this has been in the news a lot, people have gotten a ton of coverage. Yes, but yes, I there's, will.
1: <laughs> you, I think I think my mother who does not follow baseball has asked me about spin rate with pitchers. Absolutely. You know, it's it's well, that's always a ten. that tells me it's broken through. That means it's showing up on the Today Show or Good Morning America or whatever.
0: Absolutely. So and, and I will say so with hitting. So I guess i just, just to briefly explain the concept of sooner than a hitting. Right. If you square a ball up you know, you know, those balls that are uh, knuckling, right? You see the, the balls in slow-mo that, you know, are actually have a knuckleball. I know that some of those have, have, have become pretty popular and, you know, I've seen on baseball Twitter a lot. Um, you know, balls that are knuckled, right? Those are balls, say we'll say, have, that have less than 500 RPMs. You know, so just a pure knuckleball coming off the bat. Uh, usually those balls are, are hit the hardest because they're squared up so much that, you know, it's not hit with backspin, side spin, top spin at all. Just pure, pure, uh, pure knuckle, pure knuckling. And we also have balls you know, up to the four thousand to five thousand range, um, which, if you think about it, it's very glancing contact. So you, you say like a, a pop up that's hit really, hot, really high, right? It's going to have a ton of RPM of, of backspin because um, you know it, it's a glancing blow. It didn't, it didn't transfer very much it, of the energy into going far. It transferred a lot of the energy into the spin itself. Um, and so to, to, to talk about that with the context of Alex, um, a lot, with a lot of people in, in baseball, you know, you might say, hey, you should, you should try to backspin the ball absolutely to get carry you absolutely need to backspin the ball but that does not mean it's not the same as pitching in the sense that you want to backspin it only to a certain amount right because if you backspin it at four thousand five thousand you're actually just going to be hitting a balloon ball right it's going to mm-hmm. get out to the outfield and it's likely already a pretty high hit ball and it's going to just spin and spin and spin and it's it's going to stop and, and fall pretty much fall to the ground so with alex the average of his balls hit 350 so balls that are you know more or less home runs. some some may maybe some may not be depending on where they were hitting the park but Yeah, his average on balls at 350 plus was 2,100 RPMs, which isn't knuckling, right? Like I said, below 500 is knuckling. Uh, Above 4,000 is pretty much a, you know, it's a balloon ball. 2,100 is smack in the middle of, you know, we recommend like, you know, 1,500 to 2,500 is an ideal range for for spinning, uh, hitting spin rate. So he was, I mean, a great example of a guy that controlled his contact extremely well. I didn't know it was BP, but the ability to, Hit the ball f- that far and also maintain that RPM. You know, wasn't hitting it 1,000. It wasn't hitting it 3,000. 2,100 is smack in the middle of kind of our recommended range of hey, try to stay around this range to maximize your carry without hurting the distance on the- on having too much spin rate.
1: Okay, uh, two questions with that. One, like I, uh, just to explain, like we, were, I think you explained it very well. But like, if you've ever played tennis, you ever played golf, like okay, if I take a tennis racket and I cut chop down on the ball when I'm hitting it, okay, you see how that the tennis ball responds differently to that than if I exaggeratedly pull up with my tennis rack as I hit it, I'm putting different topspin or backspin on it. But with the spin rate you just talked about there, the 2100, you talked about topspin, you talked about you know, backspin. does that it? Because <laughs> I could see it being 2000 RPM where it's spinning topspin, which basically is going to then Act on the ball to push it down, mm-hmm. whereas I can have two thousand RPM with backspin that will then kind of you know, act on the ball by uh, trying to effectively lift it up aerodynamically. Is that?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a great question and a good and a great you know point of clarification. I think is so. This is twenty one hundred RPMs in the in the backspin direction only, uh, and the ability to even hit the ball three fifty plus would mean you almost. Hitting it, if you were to be able to hit it uh, 350 plus with topspin, that's an extremely impressive feat because you're essentially <laughs> counteracting how hard you hit it and how the launching you hit it by any doubt. Like, if you think about um, some of, you know, with the swing plane of say a Chris Bryant, right? You see some of his singles to left field. They're actually topspin, right? He's he's kind of flicking up on the ball. He hits it very hard, but you know it's one of those balls that seems to like get over the shortstop and dive down in in front of the left fielder, right? That's a ball hit with topspin. Now, when it, when when Bryant hits a home run, he's still hitting backspin. Maybe less backspin given that swing plane than than more hit than most hitters are are doing, um. But but he's still getting backspin because you you I mean, from a physics standpoint, it's nearly impossible to hit a home run, with topspin itself. Now, when it gets a backspin there is that kind of 2,100, you know, that 1,500 to tw- that 2,500 range that we're kind of targeting as, as that ideal range, if you will.
1: And and again, like you said, the thing about it is, is, is that you get above that, and what that also means is, is you're getting into glancing blows, right? So you're not going to have enough solid wood to ball contact when you get to a point. Like you. if you said, like, if you were trying to do that exaggerated, you, you want to do it. But really what we're talking about is, is really con- – with Benaeus, his really consistent ability to make hard, solid contact with a good swing plane to get carry on the ball, which, yeah, it's BP, but there are a lot of guys who can't do that in BP. I mean, that does mean something for your hand-eye, for your barrel control, for those attributes that should hopefully carry over for you into in-game situations as well. But that's a great deep dive into, again, one of the better college sluggers in this year's class who's someone else who stood out to you from the combine?
0: Yeah. So we'll move on to a, to a high schooler here. So Vitas Valencius, I believe is, is, is how it's pronounced. Well uh, done, done,
1: sir. Well done.
0: (laughs) Um, And he is a, he's currently committed to um, South Carolina and he's towards the back end of the, uh, the BA top 500 and he's 488. And and his performance was by all means, you know, incredible. He actually hit the hardest ball that we tracked at 111 miles an hour off the bat, um which is especially in BP, really, really hard, and it wasn't a fluke. He also had hits of 110, 107. You know, a few more at 105. So it wasn't like okay, 111 and then 95, right? It was it right. was 111 <laughs> and then 110. <laughs> it, it
1: wasn't which, lightning struck one time. And by the way, that was well, amazing that one time. No.
0: Yep. Um, and then he also has um, on those on those hits. um He had solid launching on those hits, which. You know, launch angle isn't everything, EVS isn't everything, but the ability to pair those two things together means those balls are going really far. So, I mean, he was able to stay in that, you know, 20 to 25, 30 range um, very often, which is going to lead to balls in the gap, balls over the outfielders, especially if you're hitting a 111, 110. I mean, those are those are home runs. Um, and, and and also to just kind of keep consistency with what we talked about, Vanellas. Um, he had 19 of his approximately 40 hits were above 100 miles an hour of EV. So it wasn't just those fluky couple. He hit the ball very hard, very often, um, which for a high school for a high schooler, um, the ability to maintain that exit velocity was extremely impressive over rather long BP sessions.
1: I, the thing I, I, we touched on this in the last time we did this, but I do want to bring it up again if you're just listening to this podcast. You may hear 110, 111 and go, okay, that sounds nice. But I was watching a game last weekend and they had a guy who had 114 had 115 and that's true I mean again you'll see Giancarlo Stanton he lives his best hits are in the 117 18 19 range which he's in rarefied air kind of almost by himself but the key thing you touched on there is that this is BP and there is that component to it too 110 111 in BP is much harder to find than 110 111 in a game right
0: and obviously, in a game, you're not going to maintain that velocity very much with you know the ability of pitchers to to miss your bat. But yeah, I mean, really, that maxing out, you're going to max out at, at a lower at a lower v, uh, v exit velo due to the inbound pitch. Now, it's not going to add that many miles an hour. Obviously, like you're talking at 111 right now, you're talking 117, only six miles an hour different than Giancarlo Stanton. Um, but it does help that the uh, the inbound velocity does does aid that at least right. a few miles an hour at the very and least.
1: If Now, again, this would be unsustainable, but if you were talking home run derby theory, if you had a BP pitcher who could throw a very hittable 100-mile-an-hour fastball that hitters could time, that would be your best BP home run derby. You know, we got the home run derby coming up for the All-Star game. That would be the best way to do it. But as you just know, it's a very small component. It's a fractional component of, Inbound velocity, as opposed to what that produces as far as exit velocity, right?
0: Yeah, and I would say even for like something that's in a in a in a home run derby ask scenario, you might not even need to max out that high on a, on an exit velocity, right? One eleven hit at the right launch angle is, it's know, like we we're talking about, it's it's four fifty, right? It it's gone. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. <laughs> in that yeah. scenario, all you got to do is maintain as long as you have the you know the, the raw the raw power, which I'm not saying is easy, it's a very difficult thing to have. But if you have the raw power to hit at 110, or sorry, 100 every time, as long as you're keeping that launch angle at 30 degrees pretty consistently, that's a home run every time.
1: <laughs> but but again, like I do like that. I want a home run derby where you get bonus points for exceeding, you know, forfeit. That's what I talk about that yeah. I want you to say how to change the game, move the fences back. I want there because right now, I mean, I, I was funny. I was talking to, a, you know, a guy with a team recently. We were talking about a hitter and it's like, you know, the problem for him is, is that he's, just needs to make more consistent contact. And the real problem is, is that a 450-foot home run gives you the same amount of runs as a 375-foot home run. You're right, like it doesn't make, but obviously the thing that 450 gives you is if you can hit a ball 450, you can then slightly miss hit a ball 425, 430, which is still a home run. If you can make hit a ball 380 and then you don't make as solid contact, well, you're just hitting a pop fly out. That's the, yeah. the difference that stands out. So it, it is kind of one of those things that it, it works both ways, but it, it doesn't work identical. It's not something where you say, Oh, hitting the ball that hard really doesn't give you anything. No, it gives you a wider range of area of being able to, uh, to, to hit home runs, even when you didn't get that 100% everything into it. But, okay. So we talked about him. I want to bring up, we're going to bring up another slugger. Now we will go to stay in the ACC though. You already talked about Louisville's Alex Baneas. What about Florida state's uh, uh, Elijah Cabell?
0: Yeah. So he had the longest hit at the combine. So just barely um, edging out uh, Benelis here um, at 449 feet. So Benelis at 445 feet uh, Cabell at 449. And actually it was in, it was in a shorter BP session. So, it was, uh, it was one of the sessions where they were cr- a bit crunched for time, so he only had, I think, to around 20 swings. And it was still impressive enough to, to make this list and hit it the longest at the combine. A um, ton of hits over 105. And, and what was interesting also is that he maintained a kind of a higher launch angle range than the other guys, which kind of te- led to more of these balls that were, you know, <laughs> pretty much like at the batter's eye, hitting the batter's eye. It really The ability to, to really power it, you know, hitting it hard and also hitting it um, very consistently far. Um, even in the short amount of time that he he did have to to kind of show it off.
1: And, and that's something that Elijah Cabell did. I, and actually, when you say that, it very much fits with the attributes that I would expect. If you just look at what he did this season at Florida State, he showed massive power. He had a 560 slugging percentage despite a 264 batting average. So that's an ISO of, you know, that, that's a almost 300 isolated power there. He also had a 40% strikeout rate. So it's kind of the, and again, when you talk about those kind of launch angles, the other thing that can happen with that is, is you are emphasizing power potentially at the cost of consistent contact because, okay, how do you generate that? Well, the bat is not staying on plane with the ball as long Coming, the ball coming in the back coming, you know, swing to knock it, send it back out. But if you do intersect those perfectly or close to perfectly, that's where you can get a truly majestic home run. That combo can work together for good. And also, and again, Cabell also had a 397 on base percentage this year. He knows that he, he, he did draw his walks as well. You know, some hit by pitches as well. It's not like he was just, helpless at the plate if you didn't hit a homer, but it is one of those things where those attributes kind of sync up pretty well as I would expect it. Um, and as you said, he did hit some balls that, man, they were pretty, they, I, I do love a good, majestic home run. Joey Gallo, Aaron judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Elijah Cabell hit some majestic home runs in that BP. And that's, and you said it, it was also in a shorter session. So he didn't get as many opportunities but he still did manage to pull that out. So kind of putting this all together, <laughs> one thing I want to talk about when you talk about distance, I-, I think a key part of this is, is you mentioned spin rate. That's part of the calculation, right? That's, it's something where it's not just you're saying this ball was hit at 110 at 22 degree launch angle. That's part of it but you also are factoring in these other components that do affect and can somewhat significantly affect the distance of a, of a hit.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's an extremely important thing that really is, is rather unknown. I mean, I don't want to say unknown, right. At the same time, it, it's really, if the data is in the public, people will start to know it, but it's really something that, you know, is pretty unique to our own product um, in that you can see a ball, right. Even, even just, we won't even talk about the raw spin rate in terms of I won't go into this right at, at this point. But say, like, even topspin or backspin, right? You can see a difference. Say it's a ball hit at, you know, uh, 90 miles an hour at 20 degrees, right? Say a ball hit at the same – it would be the same topspin and the same backspin. Say say 1,000 RPMs of topspin on a one, 1,000 RPMs of, of backspin on the other. Um, you could see a difference of 50-plus 50, 50 feet in the, in the carry um, between those two because one hit Massive. is, you know, hit up, and then it spins itself down to the ground with topspin. Or – hit that's hit with backspin that carries a little bit. I know, as opposed to, you know, the, the hit in the middle is going to be which, the hit that's with zero spin, which is not really possible, but, you know.
1: Which um, again, when we say carries, which is it fights gravity better because gravity is a constant on all these, but it fights gravity better. And again, that's, I mean, that's something significant though, because it's not just, oh, I hit this ball hard. It is the quality of how you hit it that does play out, you know, a factor in basically how far the ball goes and when you say that though when you say 440 450 now we are operating you could have a ball that is tracked to go 450 and it could go 470 or it could go 430 depending on are you playing in wrigley with the wind blowing out are you playing in wrigley with the wind blowing in because there are external factors that are not a part of this calculation right
0: yes yeah and these are all these are all normalized um because we're we're, you know from the from the perspective of the unit it really doesn't care what the weather is which i think there's there's pros and cons right it's it's great for it's great for the ability to compare people one to one because you don't really care if you know maybe the wind started blowing out a little bit later in the session and this guy's home run started going a little further uh, as opposed to the guy that hit earlier or something like that um but at the same time yeah it it is going to change based on the conditions and and even to take it one step further, it could be that the conditions that themselves are impacting or kind of aiding that spin. So maybe you're having a ball that was spinning back decently hard, and then the, uh, you have the spin – you know, the, you have the wind coming in. It's going to aid that spin to go even l- less far. Right. I, so it's uh, a lot of different ways they can interact.
1: But again, like to me, normalizing it makes sense. This is <laughs> – we're using this as a, as a tool. I, I want to know comparing apples to apples. I don't want to say, oh, by the way, this guy hit the ball – less hard with a less ideal angle of how he hit it with less ideal spin. but because the wind was blowing 40 miles an hour when he hit it, it went 20 feet further. Well, what does that really tell me because he ha- you know, unless you're telling me that this hitter has a way to optimize for wind, which the first hitter who does that will be the you know, the, the, the you know the next one. But unless you're doing that, I want to know, okay, how does I'm comparing what this guy during his BP, did to this guy in his BP. And really, also on top of that, you're comparing that. You're not saying if one's in Coors Field and one's in, you know, it, 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 at the Marlin Stadium, you also want to compare them. You don't want to say, oh, okay, well, you get an extra 20 feet because you're playing a, a mile above sea level either. Again, normalize to compare these apples to apples, not apples to, uh, you know, tangerines. But, yeah. I, so having now had a chance to kind of go through the combine, like I have to imagine that you're already, you all are already iterating like, okay, this is gonna add more useful data for next year when you're doing all this stuff uh, again, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's, we, we are looking, you know, to it's kind of further that, um, it, it was great to see, you know, the first time we were there, and obviously the first the first combine that that yeah. MLB has done. So yeah, you know, we're always looking at ways to you know further integrate our our products with with these sessions because it was it was awesome to see. I mean, it was it was great that we were out there and and you know showing showing what we have, but also just great for the players to be able to, you know, show some of these things that are unique, right? It's not that they're, you know, in the past if you have a combine, it's just the scout's eye and maybe there's a, there's a radar gun, but like we like we've said a lot, there's a lot more data that can, can be helpful in any, getting a guy drafted, right. There's a lot of different, really the way I think about it is like, if you're a scout with all this data an MLB scouter or otherwise, um, you can kind of dream on players a little bit better with certain attributes that you otherwise wouldn't even know they had, right. Maybe, maybe you, you in the past, you'd accidentally draft a guy that turns out hey, he had this great attribute. You didn't even know he had, but now you, you you're, you're able to see that data and more accurately, um, address and kind of rank these players if you will before you get them into your system um, which is what i think our data does uh, by and large
1: Uh, the other thing i would say with that is is and it can work the other way too which is is you can find a player let's say for instance especially at the high school level but even at the college level you can find a player who you watch them and you say these individual components seem really good the results aren't there well why aren't they there And then you look at this and you were able to realize oh, yeah, this doesn't pair with this. Or he throws this pitch that really he should either completely rework or throw away, is where he's getting beat. Again, if you take, for instance, you have a fastball slider pitcher who throws a horrendous changeup, but he throws it a lot. Or more more realistically, a fastball slider changeup pitcher who throws a lot of sliders, even though that slider is his worst pitch, well, being able to suss out that this is his worst pitch and know, okay, that's, a buy, that's someone that we may be able to get in the draft a couple of rounds later because of performance, but we know once we get that player into our system, we can improve that slider, or maybe we just say, ah, you don't need that pitch. And by the way, the minute you stop throwing that pitch, you're going to be a better pitcher because that's where you're getting torn up. Or even something as simple as location that you are throwing to. It may be, hey, you're throwing a lot of sinking fastballs, but you know what? You're actually, your fastball doesn't play well down in the zone. It plays well up or vice versa. You all are, again, the the data is giving the ability to optimize each individual pitcher to what's best for them not just what's best for it there, there are no easy generalities for this across the the board in, other than say throwing hard is good again you can't even say spinning the ball is good because in some cases not spinning you know like having a pitch that doesn't spin is good oh he throws a great high spin change it. well not that's not what we're talking about necessarily so this is all fascinating i thank you again for all the time and it's we could be doing this again we could just sit here and do this for every you know pitcher in the draft every hitter in the draft and i think it'd be fun but there are limits we've we've done basically an hour again here but nicholas Rossini, analytics manager at Repsoda, thank you again for the time and again i hope you all enjoyed this this deep dive if you did and you haven't listened to the first, go back because there was, we did uh, further looks much like this about other players and what attributes about them really stood out, pitchers and hitters. So I would recommend going back and look at that. And obviously go to baseballamerica.com if you also like this and you haven't checked it out. We have the BA 500, we have on there rap scores, which are kind of synthesizing. A lot of what we just talked about into a into a sim, is a single score for pitchers and hitters. You can check that out at baseballamerica.com as well. For Nicholas, I'm JJ. So long, everybody.